This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. So we're carrying on in this lovely series on hidden heroes. And this morning, we're going to be looking at um, not just the life of Elizabeth because they're so tied up, this whole group of wonderful people. I wanted to ask you, how how do you manage waiting? How well do you do waiting? How well do you do cues? <laughs> Terrible. And yet waiting is so much part of our lives, isn't it? We wait for so many things. Wait for our birthday. You know, the kids can't wait for Christmas. Uh, wait for a baby. Uh, we wait to get the right job. We wait to finish school. And the whole of life is about, is about waiting. So let's look at part of the story, because Luke's got a very long story. It's a wonderful story of the advent of Jesus. But let's have a look at um, Luke chapter 1, 5 to 17. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly and in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they they were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she hid herself, saying, 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. What a challenge with Zechariah having this incredible encounter with, with Gabriel and told that his prayers have been answered, that the waiting is over. Even though they're old, they're still believing that there may be a chance to have a child. But what what a challenge when you can't go home and say, honey, you'll never believe what happened in the temple today <laughs> because you can't speak, because of your unbelief. And he's holding this thing in his heart. And, and this is the, 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 the amazing story um, that we're about to look at. So I've got three points. The first one is about waiting. The second one is about obscurity. And hiddenness. And the third one is our response of faith. And so, waiting. Luke's story comes at the end of 400 silent years in the Bible. There was no move of God, there were no prophets, it was just 400 years of silence. God's people had come out of exile. They've been restored, but now they, they walk through four, de- uh, four centuries of silence, of no spiritual activity of any, of any kind. But don't be fooled by the silence, because it was an age of incredible tumult. Different groups rose up, different radical groups wanting to bring about the kingdom, and, and zealots, the Maccabees, and all these Groups and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the wooden seas and the couldn't seas and <laughs> the, the whole lot. And it was a, a tumultuous time. But, friends, what impacts me so greatly is that in spite of this time of silence, of spiritual inactivity, you have this group of believers, what we call the remnant. They've come out of the exile. They've lived through all this turmoil. And they've stayed focused on God. Their faith is intact. They are steadfast. That's what we read here about Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were steadfast in their faith. And that's an incredible challenge. And so this is, this is the setting of this, of this amazing story where God is putting things into place for the most momentous move of God to send His Son and redeem the world. In Galatians 4, verse verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so we've got these different players in in this drama. We've got Mary and Joseph. We've got Elizabeth and Zechariah. We've got Anna, the prophetess. She was, she was only married for seven years, and then she was widowed. She spent the rest of her days in the temple in prayer. And, and go and read the story where, where, where Jesus is presented in the temple, and Anna starts prophesying over Mary and Joseph and what's gonna, what Jesus is going to do. It's absolutely awesome. The other amazing thing in the story is the activity of the Holy Spirit. And you have Simeon. Simeon was an, an old guy as well. 
but a man of faith. And he said, when he saw Jesus, he said, now my eyes have seen the salvation of our God. Now I can depart in peace. Now I can, you can take me home, Lord. I've waited for this day. I've waited in faith. Time has been running out, but I've waited. And now my eyes see the salvation of Israel. Wonderful story. It's all about waiting. 400 years of no move of God. But this faithful remem uh, remnant continues steadfastly in faith. As I said, Elizabeth and Zechariah were longing for a child, and we know that because the angel says, your prayers have been answered. And I love this verse in Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 4. It says, from of old, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait. It's a powerful verse. We know the other one in Isaiah which says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Yes, we wait upon the Lord, we fellowship with the Lord, we worship the Lord, and we renew our strength. This word says, those, uh, God acts for those who wait for him. And man, that's a challenge, isn't it? We're sitting with promises. I was so thrilled this morning because you don't always know if you're hitting the right notes in the preparation of your message. And when, when um, Ainsley brought that word, it confirmed what, I was, what I'm sharing. And this thing about promise, this thing about the prophetic word. Imagine, friends, 400 years and all they've got is the prophetic word. They've got the word of God. That's all they've got. There's tumult around them. There's different groups rising up. And they stay steadfast because they're staying on, on the word. So God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I love what Bob Mumford said many years ago. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And that's one of the biggest challenges you and I uh, um, have in our life, is this thing of waiting for God. And we all know how we try and engineer things to make it happen, and we know how that ends. The Bible says that through faith and patience, we enter the promise. And that's exactly what's happening with this group. That's what's happening with Elizabeth and Zechariah. The second point is this, this thing about obscurity. This whole story is about obscurity. A whole bunch of unknown people who suddenly burst on the scene. A Zacharias, an Elizabeth, a Mary, a Joseph, an Anna, and a Simeon. Now, all these kind of unknown people. And it's, it's in this obscure place, really, um, Elizabeth is out in the Judean hills. When Mary goes to visit her, she says she went out to the Judean hills. She's just out in the hill country somewhere. But she's part of God's plan. This insignificant couple. And even Mary, 
and Joseph. I mean, Nazareth was looked down upon. When, when Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see, we, 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 we've met the Messiah. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's so obscure. Friends, this whole advent, the whole coming of Jesus is all about absolute obscurity. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness. And then God raised him up, just looking after a bunch of goats. <laughs> and then he sees this bush that's burning and not being consumed. And God speaks to him. Joseph with his dream, 13 years in prison. 13 years is a long time when you've got a dream. But God raised him up to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh. David was anointed to be king. But he had to wait 20 years to take the crown. 20 years of insults, of challenges from Saul who wanted to kill him. But 20 years he waited because God had spoken, God had anointed, but it was only going to happen in God's time. John the Baptist himself, Elizabeth's son, many, many years out in the wilderness, alone, in obscurity, before he bursts on the scene to be the forerunner of Christ. Jesus himself, born in absolute obscurity, and 30 years in waiting for his ministry. God, God seems to major on obscurity and taking people from obscurity and placing his hand upon them and blessing them for their life's work. God chooses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. Listen to what Paul says. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You think of Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had nothing to boast about, just the goodness and the faithfulness of God. All they did was pray, keep faith, and wait. And God takes this unusual, obscure people and uses them as the, birth, the birthing chamber of the Son of God. One thing is very clear to me. It's in the place of obscurity that we learn the most. When things are going well and we feel God's anointing and we, we feel the joy of the Lord, those are not the productive times. The productive times, friends, is when we're alone, when the lights are out, when there's nothing really happening and we're wondering, where, Lord, where, where are you? Where are all these promises? But friends, it's in that place of obscurity. Maybe some of you are there right now. Maybe you're longing for certain things to break through in your life. Friends, I want to encourage you. By faith and patience, we enter the promises. God does more 
in the place of obscurity than he does on the platform. Finally, the response of faith. I once heard a saying, I've, I've slightly changed it, but it says there's nothing more powerful than a man or woman for whom God's time has come. Nothing more powerful than a man or woman for whom God's time has come. And that's what this whole story is about. Elizabeth, Zechariah, still believing, even in their old age, past childbearing, there's still this, this little flicker of hope. Maybe we'll still have a chance. And when that chance came, God made them great. He entrusted to this ordinary woman, Elizabeth, the privilege of having her son be the forerunner, this Elijah person to prepare the way of the Lord, to call a nation to repentance and prepare the way for the Messiah. And so the gospel is beginning to unfold in this, this very ordinary um, little obscure community. The gospel that has been coming through Genesis, throughout the Bible, the promised Messiah is about to happen through a bunch of very ordinary people in an obscure place and who themselves had no fame whatsoever because God was at work. Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, the, the, the scripture says, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They were living for God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. But friends, they, they remained faithful. That is the great test of our faith. When nothing is happening, are we still believing in God? Are we still worshiping God? When the lights are out, when things are cold, when it's desert and there's no, there's no fruit in the vine, as the Bible says, are we still rejoicing in God? Are we still holding on to our faith? Are we still worshiping by faith? I just, I just love these characters. When Mary's given the news, she's, she, she's not being unfaithful. She says, phew, how will this be? And this wonderful word, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the Almighty will overshadow you. You see the, the work of the Holy Spirit in this whole wonderful story. And Elizabeth, it says in verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is before Pentecost. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Her waiting had come to an end. She, she didn't just become the handmaiden of, of, the, of, of the, uh, John the Baptist, the preparer of the way for the Messiah. She had the bonus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the added bonus of her baby leaping in the womb. And the incredible thing is we read later on how John the Baptist was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. An awesome story. And I believe that is because they were a people of faith. They, they didn't know how it's going to work out. They just plotted on in their faith. Friends, you don't know how things are going to work out. All God's calling you and me to do, remain faithful. Stay a worshiper. Be plugged into the Word of God. 
walk by faith. Jesus said, what's that? We walk by faith and not by sight. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's the walk of faith, friends. It's very easy to exercise faith when there's an anointing and there's the presence of God and, and, and then you can go for it. No, friends, the true test of our faith is when the lights are out, when there's desert and there's no fruit in the vines, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And that's the hallmark of this wonderful group of people. Yet we will rejoice in the, uh, in the Lord. Yes, there's all sorts of crazy groups rising up. There's wars going on and different leaders are, are rising up and they're saying they're the Christ. No, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will stay faithful to the word of God. I will stay faithful to the Lord in this craziness and in the silence. And God breaks through in this most wonderful way. Zechariah himself gets filled with the Holy Spirit in the, temp in the temple. And then he prophesies. Go and read that prophecy. Just the life of God just bursts forth. And by the way, there's a wonderful moment when Elizabeth honors Mary. The baby's leapt in her womb. It's confirmation to her that this is all of God and, and what, what was said by the angel is true and it's confirmed by Mary and by the Holy Spirit. And she says to Mary, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Of course, that's what the Catholics pray, isn't it? Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. I was a Catholic for three years in my life. Anyway, <laughs> as a little guy. <laughs> Can you believe it? I went to a convent. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Friends, here's the deal. Zechariah and Elizabeth were ready. They didn't know when the door was going to open. They didn't know how it was going to open. But when it opened, they stepped in. Friends, I want to say to you today, there are doors waiting to be opened in your lives. A number of you people right now, you're thinking, oh, I'm just not sure what next year is. I'm just not sure. I've got these promises. I've got these yearnings. I've got these desires. But nothing's happening. Friends, I want to encourage you. Be faithful. Worship God. Remain steadfast in your faith. Honor Him. Continue steadfastly in the word and prayer. And when God is ready, He'll open a door. That's the test of our faith. Friends, I've, had, I've, had, I've been in the ministry, as you know, for 51 years. I've had interesting seasons in that time, and even before the ministry, called at the age of 17, radically called to be a pastor and a minister in the Methodist church, radically called. At 18, I'm, I've come through the Navy, I'm now training as a preacher, a two-year training to get into the, to candidate for the, 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 the full-time ministry as a Methodist minister. And this waiting thing has kicked in already. Because I'm all on fire. I just want to preach the gospel. I just want to get into a church. I want to lead people. I want to preach the gospel every week. And, and I'm champing at the bit. And, I, and, and I'm an appy in the printing trade. 
only because the family got it for me. It was the most boring, boring job you can imagine. You get a run of what, you know, they call a run. Now, how many copies have got to be printed? Okay, there are 500,000 copies. And you sit there the whole And then you mesmerize. And then you mess the job up anyway because you just mesmerize now. You're supposed to be looking for mistakes, but you're just watching the stupid machine the whole day. And you called, and there's this thing burning in your heart. And on Sundays, you get out and you get to preach. And then you come back to this boring, boring job. And three years is a long time when you're in a, in, in a place of boredom, isn't it? And my deaconess, God gave me this wonderful deaconess. At the end of two years, she said, Malcolm, I don't think you're ready yet. As you know, I was a bit doff in those days. She said, <laughs> now really, I, was, I fell standing line twice. So in her wisdom, she said, Malcolm, I don't think you're ready to write the exams yet. I want you to wait another year. I mean, you know what that's like, don't you? Like just another year. And you're champing at the bit and you're watching these stupid sheets going in front of you all day, every day. But she was right. And then I wrote my, my exams. But now here's another little interesting thing about the story. Now, in the Methodist church, you have to come through your superintendent minister to candidate for the ministry. Unbeknown to me, my superintendent was a Freemason. He was as dead as a dodo spiritually, but he was the superintendent. <laughs> I mean, he was dead in the spirit, and he thought I was a lunatic. I'm the spiritual guy running around preaching the gospel. I'm on fire for God. I'm champing at the bit to get into the ministry. I, I didn't know that in the background, but Sister Connie said to me, Malcolm, God's going to open the door at the right time. And let me tell you, friends, when that door opened, it opened with a whoosh, and boom, I was in. At 21, I had my first church. That's three years. And I've had other seasons like that. I mean, recently, we were in Newcastle for eight years. For the first few years, I was preaching to 150 people on a Sunday morning and preaching around the town. And then circumstances changed, and I ended up leading a small church. If we got 25 in the morning meeting, we thought it was a revival. <laughs> but I determined in my heart to stay faithful, to prepare as hard as I have for today, I did that preparation. And then God opened this amazing door here in Clarksdorp of all places. <laughs> I thought I'm going to the hill country, the green hills of Peter Maritzburg. Grant Crawford says, no, Mark Bailey wants you here in Clarksdorp. <laughs> yeah, and Jill and I, that night we agonized and agonized and prayed and spoke. Next morning we woke up in complete peace. And this has been the absolute right place. God opens the door in his, in his time and in his way. And friends, there are doors waiting to be opened for you. I'm I'm hoping that you are pressing into that door. You know, like people crowding into the door for a concert. They, they, they're anticipating, they're pressing against the door. They, when the door opens, boom, people just fly in because they want to see, the, the, see this wonderful concert. I want to close with a, a lovely word from Nicky Gumbel. By the way, if you're looking for a Bible reading plan, in the U version of the Bible, Nicky Gumbel's 
uh, one year in the Bible is fantastic. So this is what he said a couple of mornings ago. He says, God is the God of promise. Yes. Faith involves trusting the promises of God. Friends, I want to encourage you. I've gone through some very deep moments in my journey where the lights have gone out, where I have not felt spiritual at all, and life's fallen in upon me, and and I've had different problems in these seasons. But friends, I thank God for the prophetic words over my life. I have kept them meticulously in in a Word document and also in hard copy before computers came. And friends, I've held on to the prophetic word. If you've got a scripture that God has given you, you know, when you're going through that darkness, when you're going through that, the silent time, those promises almost seem to echo in your head. They sound empty. They're like a, like a gong. But friends, if it's God's word, he'll bring it to be. And I held on to the prophetic word. So faith involves trusting the promises of God. God makes a promise. Faith believes it. Hope anticipates it. Patience quietly waits for it. Isn't that a lovely, a lovely saying? Patience quietly waits for it. Maybe you're in this place of obscurity today. Perhaps you're sitting with promises with longings that had been there for a while but not yet fulfilled. Friends, this is the testing of your faith. This is all about patient endurance. And many years ago, when I was going through one of my difficult patches, a friend quoted a simple verse to me where Jesus says, my father is always working. It's like a cooey grass in the winter. Say, hey, my grass is all dead. Is it dead? No, that whole root system is still alive. Just waiting for the water. My father is always working. Even when you don't feel it, you don't see it. God is at work. And I close with this lovely scripture from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And that is, that is our challenge. No matter what the circumstances, to keep that, 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 that dish, that antenna dish, wide open, even when there doesn't seem like there's much of a signal. Remain steadfast in God. Be a person of worship, a person of prayer, a person who's trusting God's word. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.